So Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now a lot of times uh, we all jump to the second part and we say things like, well, you know, everybody's, everybody's sin, but God has this great gift for you. And we go, it's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And everyone goes, yeah, okay, that sounds great. But it's kind of like someone giving you a birthday present and throwing you a party when it's not your birthday and they make no explanations of why they were doing it. And you go, well, I guess I'll take it, but it doesn't really make any sense why this is happening. And it's because we always have this thing as Christians that we love the grace of God so much, we love the love of God, that we jump over what it costs. We always, we always like to jump to that we want to seal the deal before we actually explain what the problem is and why there needs to be a deal in the first place, okay? And I hate to tell you, there's not really many deals you can make with God because he really holds you to him, okay? And, you know, and he doesn't always do the deal you want him to do. He already has the deal. It's already been written and signed, you know? Uh, but the thing is, it says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, death being spoken of here is not like, well, you die. You know, you sin, then you die. And because you sin, everybody physically dies. This death is a death of eternity, and it's not just like there's a waiting room where everyone's like, yeah, here we are, it's death, you know? Not so bad, really, there's not a lot going on, but, you know, there could be worse. No, it's the place of eternal uh, payment in death. It's the place of eternal burning away of sin. And if you desire to live in your sin, then you desire to die in your sin. And so you go to this wonderful, amazing place God created called hell, which was created to burn away all your sin for all eternity. And if you decide to live in your sin, you love your sin more than you love you know, uh, the Lord, then you get to go there with that sin. And God is so thorough in his removing and getting rid of sin. He's so thorough in it that for all eternity, he will burn it away that it could never come out of the fire ever again. That your sin, because it repulses my sin, because it repulses God so much, he would never want sin to be awakened again. And so he created this wonderful place called hell to burn it away for all eternity where the, the fire never goes out, as it says in Isaiah. The fire never stops burning. And he created it out of this great passion for you because in eternity in heaven, he didn't want sin to have a possibility to ever wreck your life again or to come between you and him ever again. So he creates the eternal fire, the lake of fire, the place of outer darkness, forever to burn away sin. Now we think, well, how could a loving God send a sinner to this place of eternal damnation? Wouldn't that cancel out his love? God's love is so amazing, but it never cancels or forfeits his righteousness. God's love always has to line up with righteousness, meaning the right thing to do. If a judge sitting at the, uh, in a court of, of law suddenly sees his own son come in on a murder charge, he doesn't say, oh, my great love for my son. Well, obviously, I, ha I have to love him and not do justice, so I'll let him go. He would be considered an awful judge that bends justice to suit his own needs. God's standard of justice is so solid that even to the one that he desires and longs for, he can't cancel his justice for his love. Because to do that, his love would be tainted. And it would only be for those on this side and that side. It would not be for everyone. So God creates this place of death called hell, which burns away sin and sinners every day. You know, I've heard every time you snap your fingers, two more people have died. And more than likely, one of those are in that place right now. So every time you snap your fingers, I mean, you've heard people do this. So right now, since we've even began talking, uh, probably 40 to 60 people have already started their first moment in hell because they love their life unto death. 
They love themselves. They love their things. Well, so then it goes back and it says, the wages of sin is death. Now, you get wages because you did a job, right? Well, okay, the wages of sin, meaning it's a payment for something that's done. The wages of sin is this eternal death. So here's the question. What does God owe you in wages today? How much does God owe you in the wages of sin? What would be the paycheck that he needs to write you when he goes through day one of your life up to today? When he pulls out what Ecclesiastes last chapter says, the day he draws it all out, he lays it all bare. Every good work, every bad work brought out into the open for all to see. The things that were whispered in secret are brought out into the light. I don't know about you, but if, if God took my sins and wrote them single spaced on a piece of paper and then filled it out and began to stack them, it would be higher than the, the buildings in New York City. My sin. And when he looks at this sin, he says, there's a wage for that. It says the wages of sin is death, meaning, uh, I don't know you guys, how many lives do you have? Okay, so for one sin, he owes me what? I, I owe him my life and he owes me death. Well, I only have one life. So I'm already in a major amount of debt. I'm in a major amount of debt. There's no way I could ever even begin to repay for every single time, every single time I've told a lie. Let's just start on the basics, okay? So, okay, so let's say he brings out your lies. You know, you were three years old and your mom said, did you do it? And you said, no. Okay, well, there's one. So you owed, you owed your life right then for payment. Right then, boom, life. Then there was the... Uh, three years old and two days, and she said, did you do it? And he said, no. <laughs> You're in debt, baby, right there. You have a deficit at this point. So then there was the four-year-old, the five-year-old. There was a time you took the thing from the store that you shouldn't have had, and that, you know, every time you stole something, it made you an automatic thief across the board. Scripture says all liars have their place in that lake of fire for all eternity. It says that no thief will ever inherit God's kingdom. And then you go into the little things. Like, I used to be really good at using profanity a lot. Didn't realize that, uh, you know, using God's name in the midst of that was considered major blasphemy to God. Meaning I took God's name and, you know, said, God damn it, Jesus Christ, you know. And I was using God's name as a, as a curse word, meaning that the God that gave me my breath and even gave me the ability to stand here, to me, was worth nothing. His name was nothing. Nothing. It was nothing to me. But every time I did that, God said, you know, I'm, I'm holding you uh, guilty, for being a blasphemer, and everyone that takes my name lightly like that, even lightly, I mean, just taking it lightly, it didn't mean that you were dragging it through the dirt. It means that he considered it dragging it through the dirt when you took it lightly. When you're like, oh, God. He's like, oh, hey, you're taking it lightly right now. And to me, that's very wrong. And it's so wrong that I made a promise and a vow before heaven and earth that I would not leave a single person guiltless that did that. Scripture says if you have hatred in your heart, God says the exact same thing to him as murder because he looks straight at the heart. If you've had lust in your heart, you know, if you've looked at uh, pornography or if you've had lust in your heart, and God says, you know what, I consider that the exact same thing as adultery, and not a single adulterer will ever make it into the kingdom of God. And then there's all the secret stuff, you know, that begins to stack up all those pages of sin. And God being this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful judge says, I owe you death. And not just, you know, we always think that hell's like this place where everyone just gets dumped off and it's, oh well, everyone's going through the same thing. No, because God's really just. So God punishes sin specifically. 
He does it thoroughly. He lines up the liars and says, okay. You know, the, the, the people that used to say they love God and three quarters of them fell away because he didn't fit their needs. It's called blasphemy once again. And he punishes sin thoroughly because he's just. Just like a murder charge, you know, gets so many years and a rape charge gets so many years. Well, the thing about it, everybody gets eternity, but everyone gets different levels of this thing called eternity and this thing called judgment. And I listen to this and I think about how awful it would be if I were made accountable for all my sins. And I thought of all the times as a, as a young man that I sinned against God, as a Christian that I sinned against God, and as a pastor as I sinned against God, as a husband that I've sinned against God, as a, as a father that I've sinned against God, and that all these sins are ever before God. And if he were to ever bring into account what I've done, it would be so right and so holy for him to punish me for all eternity. And it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming when you think of what we deserve. Have you ever wanted to get what you deserve? People ask for justice all the time. Well, where's mine? That's not fair. Really, would you like to have fair? Would you like fair? Anybody like fair? Would you like, how about, well, where's my justice? Would you like justice, sir? Because I don't think we know what we're talking about when we want everything to go rightly. Because if we wanted it to be righteous and rightly, we'd find ourselves at the bad end of the stick. So it's no wonder that Jesus saw the two men praying one day, and he sees the Pharisee, and the Pharisee is standing before God saying, Oh God, you're, you're, you're just so great, but basically, I'm so glad that you've made me so good that I would never need, you know, this thing called forgiveness, because look at what I do. I give, I do so many good works. I do all these wonderful things. I give to the poor. I give my 10%. I go to the temple. I pray two or three times a day. How would I ever, you know, not make it? Because obviously I've impressed you. And then next to him, you have this poor, worthless, terrible man with his face down toward the floor, and he's beating his own chest, and he's weeping hysterically. And he's saying to himself, have mercy, have mercy. And with one eye slightly pokey, I say, God, will you please have mercy on a sinner as rotten as me? And at this point, the holy Pharisee says, That's so, I'm so glad I'm not like this guy, Lord, because look at how good I've been. Many of us in our, in our everyday walk, without realizing it, we see ourselves as the man saying, look at me, God. Look at how many things I've done. I gave to the poor. I wore a Christian patch on my sweatshirt for crying out loud. What else do you want from me? I went to church. Jeez. I'm in a band. I wrote that song. had Jesus on that one line. You know, it wasn't glorifying to you. It had nothing to do with you, but I did it, all right? When people look at me, they say, there's a good guy. And Jesus asked the question. He says, which of these two do you think was justified by God? Do you think it was the one that told God how much God should like him? You know, a lot of people think, they, they actually come to church and they assume that they're so good that God would definitely want them on his team. That if God was choosing sides, they'd be in the top three, at least the top ten of who God would ask to be a part of his kingdom. That God would see them and be so impressed by how good they are that he would immediately say, well, here's obviously the guy I want to use to reach this generation because he's so good, and he's so amazing. 
But God actually says that he's looking for the ones that realize that they have nothing. That they have nothing. That they have, if they have anything, it's a debt higher than they could ever imagine. That they have a debt so great that without the cross of Jesus, they would be nothing. Because they realize that it's not that they're so good. But if God were going to do justice, they would have to tell the world just how bad they are. God looks at the one that's on his face that's not too proud to repent. He looks on the one that gets on his face and says, I have nothing to prove. He looks for the one that gets on his face and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner who deserves nothing. God says, that's the one that I look for. I seek out with passion. And I long to love. I long to give grace. I long to give mercy for the one that doesn't try to impress me, but that acknowledges they have nothing impressing about them. See, many people come to this church, and they come here because you're having a problem. Here or there, you're having a little problem. You're having, you know, having a little problem. It's really huge. It's really a problem, you know. Like, this went wrong, that went wrong. And so you're like, well, that church will do something about it. And so you come in here, and you put your sad face on. I'm having so many problems. And everyone says, really? Can we help you? And you go, yeah, I need, you know, I need some money, and... I need someone to pray for me, and, you know, and everything. And then everyone reaches out, and, oh, I want to pray for you. Here's 20 bucks. What else can we do for you? And everyone gets sucked into this thing, and everyone's like, oh, it's going to be okay, baby. And then you kind of, huh, it's feeling a little better. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I'll, you know what? I'll be back next Sunday. No, because it's a good thing. It's like a slot machine. It's working. You're putting in like a few cents of emotions, and it's coming out. You're hitting all sevens. And so you come back, and you're like, yeah. The music's kind of cool, you know? Then you're like, yeah, this made me feel good. I felt good when I went to this place. And so you come back on Tuesday, and you're like, well, I don't know what the heck they're talking about on Tuesdays, but that Sunday thing is awesome. They play the music, and I'm going to jump around because I like the music. It's so good. Yeah, and what do you guys say? Jesus! Yeah, Jesus! And you begin to go to work, and you're like, I'm going to this really hip church, and it's all about Jesus. And, and your friends are like, really? And you're like, yeah, I want you to come out. And so then they come, and they're like, well, I am having a few problems, you know. And then you bring in, this is my friend. He's having some problems. Do it for them what you did for me, you know. And all the people gather around. And then one day the bottom falls out, and you go, well, so-and-so wasn't nice to me today at that church. And that worship was crappy, you know. Jeez. It's awful. And the guy was, like, screaming on the microphone. I can hardly handle it because all I can think about is when can I get out of this place? And you know why this whole Jesus thing isn't even that exciting? Because if it was exciting, I'd be something already. And, you know, when's my time on that microphone for crying out loud? And where's my new car? And, where, where, you know, if Jesus was anything, here you are. Well, at least I'm not like those idiots over there. I'm so good I don't even need God. And you walk out and you tell everyone how crabby that church is, but the same people you told them how wonderful it was. Problem is you never came to the cross because you came here to try things out, get your problems worked out. You know what? There is no guarantee in the Bible that all your problems will get worked out. 
In fact, it says, if you trust in Jesus, you will have more problems. That it will actually be tougher and hard. You know what, you know what my fun time is in, the, in my day? See, I used to sin and it was awesome. Now I have to wake up and go, no, I can't do that. And I'm in this war that I used to not be in. And then I have to say, God, help me love so-and-so. Oh, jeez. And then I say, Lord, I don't want to go on a fast again, but okay. And I want to watch TV. I don't want to say, okay, I'll read the book of Isaiah for the third time in three months. My gosh, you're killing me. And I obey, grudgingly obey. And then I go, oh, but that's right. I was the guy with the stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of sin brought before you. Higher than the highest skyscraper were my sins before you. And in that place, you offered up the payment that I no longer had the ability to pay. And that was by taking your most loved son, your only son, and you put him on that cross where I belonged a hundred thousand times over. And in front of all creation, he took on the appearance of me in my sin. He took on the appearance of my judgment. He was ridiculed and mocked publicly for what I did. And he bled, and he was broken, and he did all those things, and he became my sin to such a degree that the Father couldn't even look upon him because I had sinned against him so severely. That I was the reason that Jesus and his Father were separated for the first time in all eternity because of me. Because of what I did against him when he had done nothing, nothing against me. He had only loved me. Oh, right. It wasn't about, will the church make me happy today? It wasn't about, oh, how dare they ask me to pray in a prayer meeting. It wasn't about, oh, my gosh, when will this guy shut his trap so we can have dinner already? It wasn't about any of those things. It was that I deserved the worst judgment of all times. And he said, I will give you mercy if you will merely humble yourselves, turn from your sin, and put your trust in what I did for you when you did not deserve it. And I will give you, the worst of all sinners, the greatest honor, which is my grace. Meaning, from this day forth, if you'll give me your life, not a moment in time, not a church service, not a Bible reading, not a study group, not a Bible study, not a worship set, if you'll give me your life, from this point until all eternity, when I look upon you, I will publicly say, that's my son or that's my daughter. And no matter who's ashamed of you, I will never be ashamed of you again. Because I will, although I remember your sins, I will no longer remember them against you. That no matter who brings up what, I will defend you. Not because you were good, but because you humbled yourselves and you turned to me, the only good thing out there. And I'm not taking you on because you're so impressive. 
I'm taking you on because you know what? You're just the kind of cause that I take pleasure in. The one that puts their face to the ground and says, God, please have mercy on me, not because I'm good, but because I'm filthy and I can't seem to wash it off. That's the salvation story. People are standing on corners telling you, you know what? Try Jesus. It'll make you, it'll make you really happy. Tell them, stop lying to me and tell me the truth. People tell you, come to my church. It'll be a real great time. Say, stop lying. Stop pushing that stuff on me. Tell me about Jesus. Tell me why I really need him. Why do I really need him? Do I need him because my life isn't quite so fun? Or do I need him because my own judgment is peering over me like a great rock getting ready to fall? And then without him, my last breath will be my first day in eternity without him to suffer my own judgment for all time. Is that why I need him? Or do I need him because I'm low on rent and I need someone to pat me on the back? Do I need him? Why do I, do I need him? I like to repent to people that I've given the wrong gospel to. And tell them I lied to you when I, I told you that God would make everything better. It was a lie from the pit of hell trying to make me feel good and you feel better. You need him because you're completely depraved just like I am without him. And your judgment, just like from Romans chapter 2, says the wrath of God has been released on the sons of disobedience. And I hate to tell you, in love I look you in the eye and say you're a son of disobedience and I recognize you because you're a mirror image of who I used to be. And I like to say, I'm asking you forgive me for trying to make you my friend instead of getting you out of your sin. So here's what I'm going to throw out there today. If you're saved, when I preach that message, all you said in your heart was amen. That's a guarantee. If you're like, I don't know where I stand with God today. If you said amen in your heart, yes, God, thank you for the cross. I hate to tell you, you're born again and you're a son or child. You're a child of God and you're going to make it. You know, you can preach hell and brimstone and I say amen because I ain't going there. But if you're here and you're thinking, well, I don't know about that. I don't really know where I'm at. I don't know. I think if I did die today, I'd be going straight to hell. Well, you know what? Today's a day of salvation, which means today's a day of repentance. If you thought you're going to make it to heaven because everyone thought you were so good, I hate to break the news, but Jesus doesn't judge you the same way the world judges you. He judges severely. And if you're here and you're thinking, well, you know, what will my friends think? Well, you know what? Jesus bore your sins in public array, said he was stripped naked and publicly humiliated. And you know what? Not a single person had their eyes closed. And you know what? Everybody was looking around when he did it. And if you're too ashamed to repent today and turn your life to Jesus, I hate to tell you, the scripture says that's when he's ashamed of you. And I preach hard because I don't want anyone in this room to go to hell. Not because I don't love you, but because I so desperately love you. And at the cross, yeah, there's grace, and there's an amazing thing called love. And the only reason I can stand up here is because I know that my Father loves me so much that he created me to be in love with him and to be loved by him. And I want every single person across this globe to understand that love, but I also know there's a barrier between really receiving that, that love, and that barrier is our sin.